How about that Blackhawks game last night? I mean, what a beauty. It, was there any better way for it to end? I no, mean, no, there. You couldn't write a better storybook ending for that. A lot of a lot of jokes in the the comments about uh, the scriptwriters having a really fun weekend on their hands. <laughs> uh, welcome into another week of Good Morning Hockey. Hope everybody had a lovely weekend. There was a lot of great sports, a lot of great hockey. Um, we're gonna bring on Robert Babiak in a few minutes. He's a hockey content creator. Uh, we're gonna talk a lot of big hockey topics with him. But I wanted to open up the show today talking about the the Chicago Blackhawks and the Chris Chelios jersey retirement yesterday. It was a really special event by the Blackhawks um, in, in a season that obviously doesn't have a lot of bright spots on the ice. Um, you can really tell that um, they they did a lot. They put a lot into this jersey retirement ceremony. It was uh, really nice from Chelios, just the speech in and of itself. You could tell the deep love he has for the city. It was really cool to see. Um, I didn't know this, Raven, but he is only the second Chicago-born athlete to have his number retired by a Chicago team. Wow. Do you know who the other one is? Ooh. No. It's Dick Buckus. Ah. Yeah. Legend. Of the, of the Chicago Bears. So uh, his speech was just excellent, uh, really passionate, as uh, most Greeks are. Um, mentioned a lot of people. Um, mentioned Dennis Rodman was there. That was really cool. Um, Cindy, That's sick. Cindy Crawford was there. That was really nice. She uh, she hit a shot from center ice into like the, the little hole into the boarded up net yeah the like for the money puck or whatever they call yeah, it yeah that's cool Wayne Gretzky was there um all of it was just a really nice um part the, a really nice touch on uh Chelly's part was the fact that he took the time to not just mention all the 2010 Hawks that won Stanley Cups and were in attendance obviously we'll get to Patrick Kane in a minute but um the fact that he mentioned Duncan Keith who was in attendance and Marion Hosa. But the one that stuck out to me in particular, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more today and a little bit more as the week goes on, but he mentioned Brent Seabrook, who obviously wore number seven for the Chicago Blackhawks after Chris Chelios had done. Uh, Chris Chelios told a really nice story about the fact that uh, Brent Seabrook had asked him to wear number seven before, and that Chelios was a little hesitant, didn't really know what Brent Seabrook was going to become, and then he led the Blackhawks to three Stanley Cups. So... Um, that was just a really nice touch. Um, I want to get to more about Brent Seabrook in a second here. But um, the 90s slant to the whole video stuff, like the video work people for the Chicago Blackhawks did a really nice job. I know a lot of people were really happy about that kind of work and um, just were really proud of that too. Um, like I said, it's been a tough season in Chicago. So anytime that you can really show off your organization when you do events like this, it uh, does a lot just to bring the vibes up around the people who work there, the people that work on different projects, like this was a really fun project probably to work on if you were a member of the staff of the Blackhawks. So, um, and then none of this is to say anything about the game itself. Um, Patrick Kane returns to the United Center for the first time since being moved to the Rangers last year and now being a member of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, was uh, He obviously got the OT winner. You had the the tying goal from Alex Brinkett, which was uh, a nice touch. And... Um, Chicago's fans are arguably one of the best in the National Hockey League. They gave him just an incredible ovation at the TV timeout. They gave him another one after the game was over. Um, the vibes were high in the United Center when it was 2-1, to one, and then then the madness ensued. So, um, And then we obviously had Bedard hitting Kane in the, into the boards. Did you see that clip, Raven? I did. But yeah, he hit him hard. Do we have the? Can we get the Patrick Kane I got clip real quick? 
So that was Patrick Kane on the Bedard hit and obviously on his old teammates from the Chicago Blackhawks. And I wanted to bring it back. So uh, a couple notes about um, retired jersey numbers. Um, Ace Bailey was the first to have his jersey number retired in all of pro sports. That was done by the Toronto Maple Leafs in uh, 1934. They retired his number six. Um, So that tradition did begin with hockey. And my question now comes back to with the Blackhawks. Could they retire number seven again? I was just about to ask that because you were saying that this kid. So Brent Seabrook, Brent Seabrook was so good for them. I mean, he was one of my favorite players early on in the National Hockey League. I did a little research. I was interested to see if any teams had the same number retired twice. The answer was a lot of them. Uh, The New York Rangers have nine retired twice for Adam Graves and John Rattel. They also have um, 11 retired twice for Mark Messier and Vic Hadfield. The Leafs have done it quite a lot. They have 10 retired for Sellaps and George Armstrong, one for Turk Broda and Johnny Bauer, seven for Tim Horton and King Clancy. They also have four and nine done, four for Hap Day and Red Kelly and nine for Ted Kennedy and Charlie Conacher. And then the Chicago Blackhawks have done it. They have three retired twice for Keith Magnuson and Pierre Palat. So the precedent is set. It, the option exists for this to do it, both within the Chicago Blackhawks organization and with other teams in the NHL. It's been done in other sports, too. I, I think I read that the Portland Trailblazers have a number retired twice. Um, the Yankees have a number retired twice. Also, um, uh, Babe Ruth's number is retired. Um, or Jackie Robinson's, 42, yeah. is retired. Every, um, every baseball team has number So a 42. couple of teams already had 42 retired or retired it since for other players. So um, I don't really count that um, league-wide retired jersey numbers. But I definitely think Brent Seabrook could get his jersey retired in Chicago. I think you give it maybe even 10 years, um, which I know sounds like a long time. But um, Chelios waited quite a while for his moment with the Blackhawks in this reunion with the organization. So um, just a really good moment overall for the Hawks. Um, I think it was cool. The shout out to Patrick Kane, obviously calling him Chelios, calling him the greatest American born player of all time, um, saying that he would be there soon in his spot. Um, and that is true. I bet we will see 88, 19, and we've already seen 81 go to the rafters. I am, I'm sure we will see number two go up there pretty soon as well. So, um, there are plenty of numbers to retire from this Hawks um, group. Maybe you could even throw number 10 in there for Patrick Sharp. Um, but I could definitely see seven being doubled up if you are the Chicago Blackhawks. And um, I think that would be a really nice touch for Brent Seabrook. He was probably one of the most underrated members of all those Hawks teams. But still, if you were if you were really in the know, you knew how important Brent Seabrook was. I mean, he wasn't that big of a an underrated guy, you know, like people still knew who Brent Seabrook was. Um, even a guy like Nick Jalmerson still got his flowers and still gets his flowers for how incredible he was on the defensive side of things for the Chicago team. Um, yeah, I just, the night overall was great. Really good end of the weekend here. And honestly, like a pretty uh, uninspiring Saturday. A lot of games brought a lot of promise. You had a few good ones. The Leafs versus the Avs was a really good game. The Battle of Alberta was really good. We'll get to that a little later after we bring on Robert, but um, Sunday was just a really nice touch. We had a lot of good hockey yesterday and capped off with this Chris Chelios and the Blackhawks. Um, do we have Robert on or should I? Um, you can do his intro and I'll call him right now. Yeah, that would be great. 
Yeah, Robert's Robert's a really interesting guy too. Um, Raven's gonna work to get him on here in a second, but um, he does content creation. He's coached. He's worked in all different levels of minor pro sports. He's even worked a little bit in minor pro baseball. Um, and I figured with Robert, we could just really get into some of the the overarching topics of hockey. We do a lot of National Hockey League talk on this show. Um, I try and branch it out and spread the love a little bit, talk a little American Hockey League, PWHL, minor league hockey in general, um, European hockey, double IHF, whatever it may be, whatever is relevant and important for us to talk about. But um, right, Ro- he's here. Yeah, Robert, I was just saying how, how well of a job you do um, covering a lot of different topics of the game that normally don't get talked about. Um, just wide brush topics that sometimes people don't really consider. Um, sometimes you could call them capital H hockey topics. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining us Monday morning. Nice early start to your week. Nice early start to our week too. How are you doing today? I'm not doing bad, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, totally. No, the pleasure's all ours. Um, so what's the hockey season been like for you so far? Um, regardless of what any of us kind of do who work in the game, we're all kind of, uh, cogs to the larger industry machine of hockey. Um, but it always gets busy for anybody who works in the game come September, October. What's the season been like for you so far? How are you keeping up? How are you holding up? Yeah, now that I'm not on the bench, things are a lot quieter. I'm not traveling and doing those like 23 hour bus rides we used to have in the Fed. Um, but on the content side of things, like it's, uh, it's obviously quite busy. I've got a lot of players at this time of year, um, DMing me about trying to help them get a opportunity at a college and stuff like that. So there's been quite a bit of just, uh, looking at players elite prospects and trying to pass guys along um, to uh, to my buddies that are coaching pro hockey right now and uh, just just trying to make a difference and give back because I've, I've been very lucky to have uh, a lot of people who support me. So I'm just trying to do my part. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to mention that you do do a lot to, you can see online that you do a lot to try and connect players with teams and how, how does that process mm-hmm. normally work or go? Or is it just these guys are reaching out to you to be like, hey, I need a team for next season or even this season? I mean, I know we're a little late in the game for this mm-hmm. season, but, um, you know. And then what's the process like just helping them out? Is it just setting them up with people you know and friends of yours and trying to see if there's a fit there? Or what's that kind of like? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I felt that slightly obligated when I left hockey to try and help some of these people out because I was putting out all this information and I saw so many guys get taken advantage of by agents and advisors, some really gross stuff that I saw, especially guys at the FHL level who who don't need an agent, but people were hiring them and stuff. And I I kind of wanted to do my part to help these guys out because it takes me no effort. All I do is guys will DM me and tell me whatever they need to say and then say, here's my elite prospects profile. I'll look at it and stat line scout them. Something I think I'm, pretty good. And I've probably looked at 10,000 elite prospect profiles. So I've gotten a pretty good read as to who might be able to work where without even having to watch their film. And then I just text a name and a link to one of my buddies and just say, Hey, like, do you need this guy? If I think it's a fit, if I don't think the guy can play, usually I just straight up tell him and just say like, Hey, like, I, I don't think I'd be able to help you. But, um, it's, it's, it doesn't take a lot of effort to help out one guy. Now, when I have like 30 DMs, I got to go through it. Takes, it takes a chunk of time, but um, oh, yeah. I, I feel like it's a, it, it's a real waste of my time to not help these guys out um, because like the, they need the information and there's not a lot of areas to get it. And 
uh, on oh, some of the stuff I talk about, I'm the only guy that they've probably ever seen a video discuss the topic. So, you know, I feel slightly obligated to help some of these guys out, but everybody wins in the situation. So, um, you know, I, I'm just trying to do my part. Absolutely, man. And I know that's appreciated in the greater hockey sphere. Um, definitely, definitely looked upon with favor in my eyes. So uh, I personally thank you for that. And I know the hockey community does as well. Um, so I wanted to get into some like wider brush hockey topics with you. Um, and I guess we can start around this area of this age demographic of players. Um, but it seems like from my vantage point, we are seeing fewer and fewer players as the years go on do the the old school go from junior hockey straight to pros, whether that's the NHL, the AHL, all the way down to really low levels of minor pro hockey. Is there a reason for that? Do you also see that shift? Is it just me? I just feel like with the the growth of club hockey, especially in the United States and even the ACHA's growth and spread into Canada, um, do, do you think that that's happening less or is it, is it just me right now? No, I, I think you're correct on that. I do think it's happening a lot. Um, I've talked about this, I, I actually think, quite a bit. And I, I feel like most players agree with me on this. The opportunities and the way the hockey pyramid works, more specifically in Canada, has guys going to play major junior or they're playing junior A, and they're basically set into two fields. The major junior guys kind of either have to go pro or go play U sports. And then the junior guys are trying to go play college and we don't have best on best anymore. We've got really good guys in junior A and some really good guys in major junior. And they're there because they're trying to take these paths that have been set out because we don't have a free market um, and players can't go where they choose. And I think that's a bit of a problem um, that plays into this. Also, I think a lot of parents push guys to try and go to school and that's become more of a, a necessity for some of these guys. And the pro teams I speak to, like, they're saying, hey, like, can you get me a college guy? They don't necessarily want to take an immature junior player and have to deal with that stuff. So I feel like there's a few factors that are playing into it. But given that the NCAA may lift its ban on major junior players, I think we'll potentially see an even bigger amount of guys not playing uh, pro hockey right out of, um, right out of junior. Um, because they're going to have a lot more just opportunities available to them and we're going to get some more best-on-best hockey. Um, so I think overall you're going to see it just going to happen less and less. Pro teams want bigger and older players, and that's just kind of how it's going. What do you think about this potential CHL and CAA shift as far as the eligibility goes? You know, Once you even go to a CHL camp, you're ineligible for the NCAA as of right now. But mm -hmm. um there there are talks of that changing. I don't know how that's actually going to work. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of different things to work out um, as far as that mm -hmm. goes, but it feels like we're closer to something like that than ever. Um, how do you think that just changes the landscape of hockey, notably junior hockey? Do you think it will diminish the product of junior hockey long-term or no, not really? No, I think it has the opposite effect. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, guys are going to choose to play at the highest level possible because there's no detriment to their college hockey career by doing so. And you're going to get a lot more guys playing at home. So guys will stay in the United States or stay in Canada and you'll get more best on best hockey. Now the end result is guys are going to get pushed down to a lower level because all these major junior players will now be eligible, oh, yeah. which they should be. There's guys getting NIL money that is more than the entire CHL is paid out to its players. 
and the players aren't paid a salary in the CHL. These major junior guys, they get a scholarship, they get per diem, but they're not earning a salary like a pro hockey player. I don't believe that the NCAA ban should ever been in place. I think it's purely in place as a method of control. Um, and uh, given the NIL situation that we've got going on right now, I think the NCAA is just trying to get ahead of an issue where they're, they have liability by not allowing these players to play. And they've realized that they have the opportunity to um, maintain a higher level of competition if they do allow this to happen. You're going to have more D1 players being forced to play D3. D3 players will be forced to play club hockey. Um, Canadians will probably benefit from it the most. But at the end of the day, um, diamonds are made under pressure. Best on best hockey is best for everybody, regardless of who's playing. So um, I'm excited. This should have happened a long time ago. And uh, from what I've been told, um, it's already done. It's just a matter of um, following the checks and balances. So I'm pretty excited to see this happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I am too. I, I just think personally where a lot, a lot of the shift is going to be is, you know, you mentioned all these junior A programs and a lot of those teams and a, a lot of those leagues do a lot to help fill out some of the, you know, not as big name NCAA programs. And I think a lot of those players are going to have to shift down to the division three level with something like that for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Stick one last junior hockey age range question, and then we'll move on to the, the big guys. Um, but I, I feel like we're in an era of a big change in the landscape of junior hockey. Obviously the QMJHL is banned fighting. Um, the OHL is looking for a new commissioner. Uh, David Branch is retiring at the end of this season. Um, they still have not decided on an heir apparent to him. Um, but the WHL got a new commissioner not too long ago. There seems to be a new leadership in that league as well. Um, obviously there's just a lot of different moving parts to the CHL. Um, but do, what do you think maybe junior hockey looks like in Canada in 10 years from now? Yeah, it's a very interesting question with how things are going to play out. I think you're going to see a much stronger CHL with some of these really good guys that were playing BCHL hockey were only doing so because they wanted to go to college. That won't happen anymore. I think you'll get a better product in the CHL. Um, I know the players have sued multiple times to try and have um, their compensation be changed. Um, something which I agree with them. They are treated like professionals without the pay, but given that they will have this NCAA opportunity, I think those talks will definitely quiet down quite a bit. But I think there's a lot of people being pushed out purely because it's harder to get away with being corrupt now and people are more willing to speak up and say, like, this is wrong or the players are more willing to stand up for themselves. So I think junior hockey and especially with the dumpster fire that is Hockey Canada I think you're seeing a lot of people just saying, hey, we're going to do whatever is in our best interest rather than try and deal with this bureaucracy. And I think we're progressing towards a more healthy and freer market, which is uh, more advantageous, advantageous to the players. And uh, whatever can be done to better support our players, I think, uh, I think is, the, is the best and only goal we should have right now. Yeah, we just want to see what's best for these guys. Um, I lied. I do have one more question, but, you know, we're, we're making the transition to the pros. And uh, do you ever think we could see the NHL change their draft age, maybe bump it up a year or even two? Um, I, I know that kind of leaves out some outliers. and Maybe there could be like a special rule exemption here where if you are a Connor Bedard or that type of player, um, you know, we have exceptional status in the CHL. 
Um, maybe you could get drafted a year or two earlier <laughs> if you are of that ilk. But um, you see with some of these players that aren't Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid that um, there just exists uh, such a high level of pressure to maybe be that player if you aren't that player right away. Um, and we don't even see that many 18-year-olds make the NHL anyways. Um, do you think that there's anything behind that or no? Am I just rambling on here? Um I think that there is something behind that, but I think the larger issue that we look at is the CHL and the NHL have an agreement that does not allow players to play in the minors until they turn, well, basically 20. Um, And they, there's guys who would be done with junior hockey and would move on to start playing at 19, playing in the minors and they're not allowed to. So they they get stuck basically in junior if they're an NHL drafted player. Um, I, I just feel like the, the way the market is right now is very rigid. And as things open up, I think the late bloomers and stuff are going to be given much more of an opportunity once this NCAA thing opens up. Because U Sports Hockey, even though it is great, it isn't a feeder. There's like Logan Thompson, and there's a player on the Oilers right now. There's the only two U Sports alum playing in the NHL. That shows you that the feeder from there, it, it just it doesn't exist. Yeah. I think once the market opens up, I think we'll have more opportunities. I think guys should be allowed, even if they are drafted by an NHL team, to play in the AHL. That I mean, people can argue that uh, that point, but now that there's going to be more chances for late bloomers to play very high level hockey that's still being consistently scouted by the NHL, that guy who's unbelievable at 20, who wasn't in a spot to be drafted when he was 18, I think they'll be in a good spot. And I don't think I don't think you'll see the NHL teams be willing to give more time to these players. I think they want to try and get them earlier. If, if they would vote to make it seventeen, if they could. In oh my yeah. Opinion, so no, it's just me me dreaming over here. Um, so on to the big boys mm-hmm. here, um, and, and girls too, because I do have a question about them. Um, but what's the mm-hmm. state of minor pro hockey right now? Um, feels like the AHL and ECHL, but the, the AHL in particular for me has always been the standard bearer for what a development league should look mm-hmm. like. Um, they've always tried to maintain same number of teams as the national hockey league tried to make sure everybody has partnered up. The ECHL kind of, uh, has a trickle down effect from that. They, they have some good professionalism to them. A lot of guys really enjoy playing, playing in the ECHL. Um, but feels like after that once you get to the sp and the fed um there are some struggles there's maybe not as much structure to the lower leagues here as maybe some of the lower leagues abroad um what's your overall take on just the state of things right now um and and what what it really does look like to play minor league hockey right now yeah it's an interesting point because of the agreements that they have between the nhl ahl and echl Things are very well operated at those levels. You don't hear crazy nonsense going on. Once you dip down, the SP doesn't typically have a lot of issues. I know they had that Danville situation, which was insane, um, but wasn't entirely surprising. And then the Fed has cleaned things up significantly as time has gone on. Um, I'm a big fan of what the SP does. I think it's a good product. I think we have a drop-off in skill because guys will go over to Europe because they can get more money from the ECA. Like being an ECHL guy, or ECHL caliber guy, they just go over to Europe. They'll get more money. They'll have the experience. I don't blame those guys whatsoever. Um, at the end of the day, it really just falls down to how much money players are able to make, and they'll they'll go where the money is. And not a lot of guys will elect to drop down. Um, some do because they're um, still trying to you know be that East Coast guy. But 
you see a lot of guys that will go over to Europe because, and the lower levels in Europe because of the ways the systems work there. They all work together, promotion and relegation. There's competition. You can't just be stagnant like you could. You could be the worst team in the SP for 10 years, and there's not a ton of risk to your business other than potentially dwindling attendance. But yeah. over in Sweden, you can lose millions of dollars if you drop down two levels, right? So the competition level is just higher and more consistent over in Europe. Um, I like what the Fed has tried to done to clean things up. I still send players there to the teams that I have relationships with. Um, it's better than when I was there. Um, things can always improve. I would love to see a situation because I'm in, I have the strong opinion that the bottom of the pyramid is just as important as the top of it. So I feel like the NHL, if they were to kick money down, it would be viable. No guy has gone from starting in the Fed to the NHL, but the whole system works together. They push players up and down. I think if there was just more money at those lower levels, guys wouldn't leave to Europe. Guys would stay here more. Um, it's insane. Cody Porter, who's an excellent goalie, uh, was playing in the Fed out of basically finishing his uh, career as a pretty decent major junior player. And now he's playing over, I think he played in the Mestis last year. He was in the Alvenskin this year. I'm pretty sure he just went to Czech or Slovakia right now. He's an excellent goalie, but he had to play in the Fed because there just isn't enough opportunities for goalies in North America. If the money, if there was just more money, you wouldn't have guys like him leaving. And if there was a higher caliber of player available at the fifth tier, that would say, because let's be honest, the fifth tier of pro hockey in North America has like the seventh tier caliber of player. Yeah. Just because of the funds that are available. I think if the NHL kicked money in, I feel like if the whole ecosystem worked together from the NHL all the way down to the Fed, we would see an improvement of the product. And I think it'd be good for North America. They'll never do it, though, um, because it would cost the teams. They'd have to spend more money at the Fed, and the SB would have to spend a bit more money, but not a ton. But there's just no value in it for them. Um, but to long-windedly answer your question, things are good, but they could be better. Um, do you think that – like, do you advise players that reach out to you to go over to Europe in that case, or do you tend to tell them to stay home? More often than not, it depends on the guy. If I think the guy can run the ladder, which is very rare, I'll say, Hey, like stay home. Um, I've had NCAA players reach out and I said, Hey, like don't play in the Fed or the SB. You can go over to Europe next year. Just finish your schooling out, get everything buttoned together, contact teams and make your way over. Um, I think it's a lot on a case for case basis. Um, goalies, it's just a whole nother ball game. Um, we have D1 goalies and major junior goalies playing in the Fed. Yeah. Um, not a lot of skaters. So uh, it's just a case by case basis for sure. So I, I wanted to ask a PWHL question. I've, I've seen you do a few videos on it. Mm -hmm. So I know you're, you're versed in the subject. Um, everybody's been really excited about it. I've been really excited about it. We've had some PWHL reporters on. Um, I have friends of mine that are, are playing in the league kind of. Um, but I think a big part of the PWHL that is going ignored, and this is uh, two white guys talking about women's hockey here, but uh, I, I do just want to put this out there that I don't think a lot of people are considering. Um, I, I think we might be ignoring the amount of talented players on the outside looking in of the PWHL. Um, they have non-guaranteed contracts, so it is uh, dissimilar to the NHL in that way. Um, you can just kind of get cut like it's football. A little bit and we've seen it with a few talented players here and there 
Um, and then there are players who didn't even make rosters. Um, is is that just like something that we're willing to give up for right now or look over um, in order for the greater good of the game? Am, am I the only one that's kind of seeing this too? Or, um, you know, because I, I, have, I have had a few people reach out to me and say, hey, this is great, but there are a lot of girls who don't have jobs right now also because of the PWHL. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's people that have complained about not having a spot, but at the end of the day, the business has to be operated in a way that is sustainable. It was not operated whatsoever at that point. Um, the girls all have tried to do whatever they could to put the best situation that was sustainable for a league and also the players at the same time, too. So um, the knife kind of cuts both ways in this situation. Uh, as they expand and, and things grow, things will improve over time. It's just there's going to be a lot of growing pains. They admit to it. I mean, they don't have team names, but they're they're doing a lot of good stuff. I think we're going to see um, things grow and improve over time. And if they're selling out, that means there's more money available, which means more people will want a franchise. Things will things will open up for sure. But um, I've been pretty impressed with what they've done so far, um, and the the way the game has been played by the players. It's, I, the hitting is unbelievably isn't it a big change. So good. they're way more aggressive. Um, but, and there's, when you have this few amount of teams, there's going to be relationships and relationships often trump skill. And you're going to see some people on the outside and there's some skilled players who are just locker room cancers and stuff like that. There's a lot that plays into it. So, um, it doesn't really bother me at this stage. I'm just happy that they're getting people in the stands. The product is good and, um, they seem to be on the road to sustainability. Yeah. I mean, it is good to see. I think. It'll be uh, nice once some expansion comes in. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get another team in there soon so that, um, you know, there's room mm -hmm. for some of these players maybe coming over from Europe. They're also going to do a college draft this year, this summer, too. So um, a lot of new players will be looking to join the phrase while there. Um, so let's maybe like zoom out a little bit from leagues and players and all this kind of stuff and just talking about hockey in general. Um, how do you feel about where the game of hockey is right now, whether that's culture, whether that's development, whether that's the youth and grassroots levels? Um, I know you mentioned earlier about the accessibility of things like knowledge and information um, and how that is lacking in our sport. And I definitely agree with you. So it's good that there are people like you who are acting as resources to these players. Um, but what are the issues right now with our game overall? And what do you view as maybe our fixes here? How do we attack getting it better? We just have an accountability problem, uh, between the governance of teams, the way the players play with the, with fighting being taken out of the game. I think there's just an accountability issue. Um, it's being addressed problems that would be skirted under the rug are being um, being dealt with now and things are improving. There's a lot less just nonsense occurring and that's because things are more transparent with social media and stuff like that. And people feel like they can actually say what they need to say. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the progress that's currently being made. Obviously there's a lot more and just, you know, players not being taken advantage of is obviously something I uh, feel passionate about and I've spoken out about a bunch, but, at the end of the day, the more transparency we get, the better, and things are going to progress to a spot that's uh, that's positive for everybody as time goes on. So I, I think as as a whole, just we just need more accountability. That's all. One last one for you here, and then I'm going to let you go. But I do know that you have a background in baseball, and we're getting 
we're right around the corner from baseball season. You're looking forward to it. Is uh, baseball still uh, a, a passion of yours? Uh, what are you feeling about the, the game this upcoming season? Are you a Blue Jays fan? I am a Blue Jays fan for sure. Um, baseball is not something that I put any thought into nowadays. After I uh, finished university and you know got my work experience under my belt, not a not a huge thought I have anymore. Um, at this stage of the game, it's mostly put towards hockey. Now that NFL is over, thank God, because that's something I'm super passionate about as well. The amount of time it takes for me to be able to stay on top of the stuff I'm on top of, and I'm so lucky I have followers who will DM me stuff and let me know about things that I maybe wouldn't see. I have such a supportive group of people. I, I look at it as it's not my channel, it's our channel, because without those people that follow me, it's for me, I'm completely irrelevant. And I'm so lucky I have the people that reach out to me, players, everything like that, that, you know, help provide me that information. Because working in sports, as you know, it's so hard to stay on top of stuff. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky in the sense that I've got people who, uh, who support me like that. So, uh, but yeah, now baseball is not something I pay um, all too much attention to, but I do hope that the, uh, the Blue Jays end up having a good year. Yeah, I, I am a Blue Jays fan myself, so I, I, I'm hoping it is a better season out of uh, Roger Center there. But, uh, Robert, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, really appreciate your time, yep. um, your knowledge of the game and all aspects of it. Um, thanks for sharing some insight with us. We'd love to have you on again. So uh, have a great rest of your yep. week. Thanks for doing this, man. All right. Thank you. That was Robert Babiak. He is – find him on TikTok. Uh, find him on Instagram. If you are a hockey player looking for um, – a place to play next season. He could definitely help you out. Um, just really interesting insight from him um, talking about the, the market of hockey, the game of hockey, right? How there's not a free market in hockey and how that limits the options for different players and the opportunities that some guys may have. And an interesting point that he brought up off, brought up off the top that I uh, wish we had gone into a little bit more, but was like I had uh, asked again was the, the, the lack of information, the the you know the lack of resources, the accessibility to those kinds of things, and how we can get information to the hockey players more. Um, and there are people like Robert who are doing a really good job at um, that kind of thing. He also coached minor pro hockey, so he he knows the deal. He's been on the the management side of things. He's been on the operation side of things. So. Um, really great stuff from him. Raven, you know what I found out about him? What? He was, uh, at one point, w the youngest general manager of a minor pro baseball team. Wow. Yeah, he was a 20-year-old general manager for a minor pro baseball team. Do That's, you know which team? It was, uh, it, it seemed to be a, a smaller like Canadian single? league. Ah. And, and what from what I could gather from the limited information available online was that it was a league formed last minute because of some issues with a different league. And so it only lasted that one season and the operations of it seemed to be not the most steady. And so uh, basically it was just an outlet for a, a bit large group of players who otherwise weren't going to have a really, really a place to play. And so he ended up being general manager for one of the teams, which is incredibly impressive to do at 20 years of age. So, uh, thanks to him for coming on. Like I said, really good stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we could jump into anything. How about Cody Bellinger? If we're going to stick with the baseball talk for a second here. Um, Cody Bellinger's Chicago Cub? Yep. Uh, I forget. I think it was 80 for two, three, three, three years. years. Yeah, so makes sense. That's I mean, cool. I'll take it. He's been kind of mid the last few years and kind of struggling. It's kind of why he held out so long to see if he could get signed by another team. But no one really wants him because he's kind of unreliable right now. So better that he just stays in Chicago, gets his groove back, and then kind of can move on from there if he wants to. So, But I think them getting him back is a really big part of this team. So, Oh, so do I. I think that's going to make this summer a lot more fun down the street. So... Uh, from baseball to hockey, and uh, we'll, we'll touch on the games tonight. There's only four games tonight in the NHL, um, but obviously there's some cleanup to do from the weekend. Um, just a lot of different things here and there that I wanted to touch on. Um, Alexander Ovechkin played in his 1400th game. Uh, he has now played in 1400 of the 1459 games that the Caps have played in since his National Hockey League debut. Um there's been a lot of talk in recent days, weeks in Toronto and outside of it. Um, you know, the hockey media world kind of starts in Toronto and rever- reverberates from there. But um, a lot of talk about can Austin Matthews surpass the record that Ovechkin is currently chasing. And what I don't know that a lot of people understand is, yes, while Austin may be shooting and scoring at a little bit of a higher clip than Ovi was through this point of his career... Um, the durability of Alexander Ovechkin is largely unmatched by players of his caliber, especially players that play with that kind of physicality, that kind of edge to their game. I mean, Alexander Ovechkin's thrown some thunderous hits, some monster hits. I mean, we all think of the the one on Yager in international play, but Alexander Ovechkin has never been shy to throw the body in NHL competition as well. Um, just plays a mean streak kind of game, doesn't really... I think he does get noted for that um, in people who really watch it, but uh, people from the outside may just look at Ovechkin as a as a scorer, as a one-trick pony, um, but that, that has certainly not been the case for him, and the fact that he has been able to perform the way he has throughout the entirety of his career and walk away from it largely unscathed is pretty remarkable, and... Um, I think it's going to a player like Austin Matthews, who's already dealt with some injury struggles through the early parts of his career, is uh, going to face an uphill climb in order to do something like that. I mean, we're still talking about Ovechkin breaking the the Gretzky record himself. So um, we still have time before that happens. But he's been playing a lot better, too. So are the Caps. I mean, um, they're just good hockey from them. Um, So... That that was an interesting note this weekend. They lost to the Florida Panthers 3-2 in overtime on Saturday, but a um, lot, lot better structured hockey from the Capitals overall. Um, good weekend for the Calgary Flames. Big battle of Alberta win. That one was awesome. I do want to spend some time on the Oilers for a second. They've lost three in a row. They lost to the Minnesota Wild 4-2 on Friday night. Uh, Matt Boldy, too, has just been playing so well lately. I mean, he's got 22 goals already this season, um, and... I think a lot of people were pointing at him as, oh boy, like if if he's struggling, the Minnesota Wild are really going to struggle. But he's really turned it on of late, and so have the Wild too. Um, but the Oilers get 
they they lose that one and then they lose the Battle of Alberta at home as well, six to three to the Calgary Flames. It was a really good game from Nazem Kadri. Really, really good game from Noah Hannafin. Um that that is probably music to the ears of Craig Conroy, GM of the Calgary Flames, as they might look to move on from him soon. Um but just a, a tough weekend for Edmonton. Um, those were two games that they probably really wanted. Uh, we will see them back in action tonight as they host the Los Angeles Kings. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of, of topic of conversation leading up to the trade deadline uh, is going to include the Edmonton Oilers, both um, as far as people wondering what they could do and also linking potential players on the move to them. Um, but th- there's a lot to like there. Um, they've been playing a lot better as of late. Um, the Vancouver Canucks are kind of in a similar spot, although the Vancouver Canucks have been red hot since the start of the season and uh, broke their four-game skid with the 3-2 comeback win over the Bruins Saturday night. But um, if you're Edmonton, you still have uh, some really good players. Uh, Evander Kane seems to have turned it on a bit lately, too. Um, a lot of the depth guys have been contributing at a much higher rate than expected. Matisse Yanmark was really good. That fight in the Calgary game was awesome. Um, just a lot of really important pieces for the Oilers need to get going. Um, maybe you look to add on the back end, but um, things things have gone well um, outside of this skid this weekend. Uh, Zach Hyman also has a new career high in goals. He hit 37 on the weekend, but... Um, I'm sure he won't take too much solace in that, having dropped back-to-back home games. Um, speaking of Alberta, the 2027 World Juniors will be hosted in Alberta. I think a lot of the expectation is is that the host city will be Calgary, although nothing has been made official as of yet. Um, we do have the the new arena coming to downtown Calgary at some point soon. Um, I don't know that construction is underway on that project or... At one point, but uh, we have some time between now and 2027. So um, look look out for that. Uh, the next year's World Juniors are in Minnesota, I think, um, St. Paul. I don't know. where. Could you look up where the 2026 World Juniors are supposed to be, Raven? Yeah, I got you. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, and so so that that's our Alberta talk. I mean, we'll, we'll see where the flames go. Where, where is it at? Uh, double checking where Freiburg is, but it is Sweden, Switzerland, Switzerland. Okay, okay. So, twenty five Minnesota, twenty six Switzerland, twenty seven Alberta. Um, that that is your World Junior lineup for the next few years. Um, I feel like we should talk about Matt Rempe because twenty seven, oh. my friend, is actually in Germany. Oh, oh, wait, what? Alberta is set to host, but then it says host country is also Germany. So. I'm going to trust the Alberta because there's more news about that. So Yeah, I think that might have been an announcement from Hockey Canada. I don't know if anything's been made official on the front of the IIHF. So um, we'll await official word on that. But I guess that's the, that's the early scoop on uh, the World Juniors and where they could be. Um, but back to Matt Rempe. Um, this guy, I mean, is anybody having a better first week and a half in the National Hockey League than this guy? Um, you had... You had the the winter the not the winter classic the stadium series, the solo lap on the outdoor rink in front of seventy thousand plus. You had the fight against Matt Martin. You had the Rangers comeback win. I mean, everybody was talking about this guy for a little bit. He's enormous. He's six foot eight. He fights Nick Delorier 
on Saturday. He then gets the game-winning goal. Rangers beat the Flyers. And that was a really good game, too. If we're talking about good games from Saturday, that was a fantastic game. Um, And then he turns around, and I know the Rangers lost 4-2 to the Columbus Blue Jackets yesterday. However, um, the he gets in another fight with Matthew Olivier, which was just, I mean, this fight was next level. Um, and, and it's got to be tough, too, when you, when you step into the National Hockey League like Matt Rempe does and you know, you fought, you fought Martin, and then you fight Delorier against the Flyers, and then you go into this game against the Jackets, and you may just want to play a little bit. You're coming off scoring your first NHL goal. He also gets an assist on the Adam Enstrom goal, um, who is six seven, by the way, and they play on the same line. So you have six foot eight Matt Rempe, you have six foot seven Adam Enstrom, and then the the squirt of the bunch, you have six foot two, six foot three, maybe Barclay Goodrow. Um, said he never thought he'd be the shortest person on his line, but here he is. Um, but it, but it's got to be tough, right? If you're Matt Rempe, you you go and you you fight, and you're two of your first three games, and uh, you haven't really played a lot of hockey. You're trying to also show that you can uh, contribute on the skill front of things. Like you don't you you don't make it to the NHL without having any sort of skill nowadays. But um, when you are given the opportunity to showcase it, you you want to be able to do that. So. Um, not saying that he didn't want to fight Matthew Olivier, um, but the the challenging is not going to stop for Matt Rempe. Every guy, every tough guy on every team that plays the New York Rangers going forward when Matt Rempe is in the lineup is going to want to challenge him. So um, that, that might be something that, you know, maybe he learns how to decline a fight going forward. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily in the business of declining fights yet, having only played four National Hockey League games. Um, but just a, an exciting player overall, really throwback kind of guy. Um, and it's fun to watch. It is, it is very fun to watch. I have to admit, um, I take, uh, really good enjoyment out of watching these guys too. You know, he wasn't really supposed to be, um, made into this kind of player. He, you know, played for the Seattle Thunderbirds, brought them to a WHL championship series, but, um, I don't think anybody really even expected that he would play games in the National Hockey League, let alone four. So, um, it, like I said, it is Matt Rempe's world. It's his NHL. We're just uh, living in it and enjoying it right now. The Rangers will host the Blue Jackets on the second leg of this home-and-home, home, but we got to wait until Wednesday before we get that matchup. So, um, Jets attendance. So, I have this marked down. And I know this is a difficult subject, especially with the uh, Arizona Coyotes situation ongoing and no resolution really in sight for it. Um, I don't have any news to update there except for uh, an awkward Instagram post uh, from the Coyotes account. But um, sticking with the Winnipeg Jets, um, the new Winnipeg Jets, um, attendance has decreased. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it seemed to be down anywhere between 15 and 20 percent um i think a large amount of that accounts for season ticket renewals um not so much game by game attendance because the fans yes there were early parts in the season for winnipeg where it seemed a bit thinner in the crowd than usual for a canadian market um especially one with you know a smaller arena capacity that's known for filling it up and making it really loud making it a very tough place to play I think just a lot of people were very surprised at the um, 
the state of the Jets and why that was happening. And um, then the team really turned it on. They've become one of the contenders in the Western Conference. And the attendance has improved. But I, I think there there are still struggles on the, the season ticket retention. Um, Mark Chipman had a uh, statement. I, I don't have the whole statement in front of me. Basically just saying that it's not sustainable and that uh, we need to do more. So... Gary Bettman is visiting Winnipeg. He will be there today, and um, I'm sure he's going to talk to the team. He's going to talk to the players and management, and um, so I, I think we're going to gather a little bit more about what um, Gary Bettman believes is the situation going on in Winnipeg, but um, just something to keep an eye on. I don't think that um, there's any reason to be concerned about the Jets' Long-term prospects of Winnipeg, I, I know a lot of people will um, point to this and say, hey, maybe like if we're really saying this isn't go going to work long-term, then maybe we need to consider other options. We've talked a lot about uh, relocation and expansion on this program, and there are certainly markets that do want teams um, looking at you, Utah, but um, I, I, I don't think that the Jets are going anywhere. Um, it took a lot to get this team back. Um and, you know, I, I just I don't think the NHL really wants to leave a market like Winnipeg because it kind of does a really nice job in combining both Eastern Canada and Western Canada, um, the teams that exist on both sides. They act as a nice median. And, um, yeah, I mean, so here I have some of the numbers. They are drawing at an 87.4% capacity for this season. Um that is apparently 30, uh, third lowest mark in the 32-team league. So um, that that's a bit interesting, I have to admit. that That is pretty interesting to say. 87.4% um, of their uh, small arena, which only fits over just over 15,000 fans, it's uh, 13,300. So um, that's the average number of attendance there. I don't know that that's so much uh the season ticket base decline is uh 27 percent also just while i'm looking at these numbers and breaking it down um this is the quote from mark chipman um i wouldn't be honest with you right now if i didn't say quote we've got to get back to thirteen thousand. uh this place we find ourselves in right now it's just not going to work over the long haul it just isn't so, um, look, I, like I said, I don't think we're in talks of an imminent move of the Winnipeg Jets. That would probably be the bombshell of the decade if that were to happen. Um, so, but I, I, I definitely will report back tomorrow about what Gary Bettman says, what his stance on and what his perspective is of the situation, too, because Gary has been very adamant about the fact that a solution will resolve itself there in Arizona so if the tone is a little bit different about the Jets then maybe we should start thinking about the Jets as a potential team for relocation I don't personally want to see it I think the game is better with more teams in Canada but um, if they feel that they can sell more tickets in a different market and the Winnipeg Jets community is not willing to you know pay for a top tier sports team then that might be it for the team there. Um, and that would be the end for top tier pro sports in Winnipeg as well, because that's really the only, that's the only team there, hockey or otherwise. Um, uh, 
Yeah, just a, just a really interesting situation. Um, and, and one that I don't love to talk about because definitely makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, the Jets are uh, a part of the fabric of the National Hockey League, not just this iteration of them, but the previous one. Um, the ties that they have to each other, um, they, they haven't done a lot in order to make a distinction between old and new. It's kind of all blended together, even though the old Jets became the now Coyotes. Um, ironic now that we're talking about um, attendance struggles in both markets, but um, it, it, it is an uncomfortable situation. You never want to see a city lose their team. Um, you never want to see the the buildup to that, too. The buildup of that is always an uncomfortable time as well where um, attendance isn't high and you just don't really know why. Like, the Jets are a really good team, right? I mean, you got Connor Hellebuck locked in. You got Mark Shifley to commit long-term to this team too when a lot of people thought they would be gone at the start of this season. And now you have these players, plus you have Josh Morrissey and Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers, who's just been awesome this year, um, really letting his skill set fly in at times when in previous years it hasn't. Um, so there's a lot to like there about the team. Everybody go buy tickets. If you live in Winnipeg, go, go buy tickets. I know we have a few Manitoba listeners. Go, go get some Jets tickets. They, uh, they need your help. So, um, we'll move on from the Jets because, uh, just there's a lot more of this story to tell, especially with Gary Bettman going there today. Um, really good weekend for the Tampa Bay Lightning, by the way. Uh, they pick up two enormous wins, two wins that they absolutely needed to get. Um, they beat the New York Islanders and they beat the New Jersey Devils four to one yesterday, but the, they beat the Islanders four to two. That game was never really in doubt, especially after the Braden point goal to make it three zero. Um, the Islanders did fight and claw their way back. The late Brock Nelson goal almost put a scare in the lightning, but, um, they did walk away with the four two victory. And then everything pointed to yesterday's affair, especially after, the Devils picked up a win themselves, 4-3 over the Canadians at home. Um, really big goal by Jesper Bratt. Really big goal by Nico Heischer there um, in that one. But um, this game was kind of pegged to be the the game of the week as far as what does it mean for both organizations? What does it mean for the overall playoff race? The Devils are the the first team right outside the Eastern Conference wildcard race. Um and Tampa Bay is the last team when it comes to Eastern Conference teams currently in a playoff spot. So uh, that game meant a lot. Tampa Bay waltzed away with that one, 4-1. to one. And you have to kind of wonder what the mentality was for the Devils in that one. Because I, I have to admit, I was watching it and I just was very surprised that the Devils didn't put together a more fruitful uh, full of life effort. Um, just a lot of their players weren't going yesterday and a lot of Tampa Bay's players were going and that's going to be a very difficult team to stop if all of their players are going. Um, Braden Point hits 30 goals. Nikita Kucherov hits 100 points, becomes the first player in the National Hockey League to do so this season. And the Devils might be looking at this game as the game that really got away. If I mean, we're at that point now where you can look at some of these games and say, hey, if we miss the playoffs by one point or two points or on a tiebreaker, that might be a game that we look back at and wish we could have put more into it. Um, but I think the the Devils are, you know, I, I almost woke up today expecting a goaltending move to happen of some variety of a goal, goalie going to New Jersey. That I, I don't know why. I just kind of woke up with that feeling, thought we were going to wake up and have a big trade right before we got Robert on. But um, 
to no avail. The Devils still have, uh, they have Akira Schmid playing down in the minors. They have Nico Dawes up with the team. They have recently signed Isaac Poulter up with the team, backing him up as well. Um, which, in my opinion, none of which are solutions. If you are looking to try and make the playoffs this season, and I, I think everyone's of this opinion, that if the New Jersey Devils do make the Stanley Cup playoffs somehow, some way, uh, before the end of it, whether it is a Tampa Bay or a Detroit or a Philadelphia falling out, um, you do not want to play this New Jersey Devils team in the first round. If they figure out that goaltending, that is a team to be feared by any in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So um, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But that one could be a heartbreaking one. It could be a turning point. It could be a deciding moment for the Devils that they they need some goaltending help, although I feel like that moment should have come last week when they lost. But um just a, a lot to like about what's going on in Tampa Bay right now. Um, that, that Those were such big wins for this team, for this work. If they had gone 0-2 instead of 2-0 in those games, I mean, I know we're talking hypotheticals now, but um, that uh, things just would look a lot different overall. And the outlook on this team and w- what we would be saying right now um, about this club and the direction of this club would even look a lot different with just two losses instead of two wins. So... Um, that was a big part of the weekend, too. And how about that Penguins game yesterday, too? They beat the Flyers 7-6. to Sidney Crosby is a four-point effort, goal, three assists. Um, just really tremendous stuff from Sidney Crosby. I mean, um, we I, I've talked about him ad nauseum, um, and I will continue to do so because watching this player is a treat. Um, I, I um, don't know that a lot of people are really appreciative of what we have until it's gone. Um, he's now up to 32 goals, 60 points in 55 games. I mean, this is vintage Sid right here. And, uh, I don't know if it's vintage if he never left, but really just great hockey from him overall. Um, if the Penguins really find themselves back in this race, uh, the heart will belong to Sidney Crosby, no matter how many Austin Matthews could score 80 goals. And if the Pittsburgh Penguins make the playoffs, book it Sidney Crosby for the heart trophy. Um, tough one for the Flyers too. You know, John Tortorella wasn't too happy about that effort. Um, it, it, tough go for um, Cal Peterson in that one too in net for the Flyers. Um, he hasn't gotten too much of a shake at the NHL level this season, um, but it's gonna be uh, it's gonna take better efforts than that to uh, take the net from someone like Sammy Urson, who's just been really really good. I know the Flyers lost obviously um, Saturday afternoon, but. Um, Sammy Erson's just been really, really good. Um, and he's a big reason why the Flyers continue to stay in the hunt. But uh, two losses on the weekend will definitely put a bit of fear into the Flyers' faithful going forward about what that grasp on that third and final divisional spot in the Metro looks like. So um, interesting stuff from Philadelphia. Really great game. I mean, that was just 7-6. I mean, I know we've seen some high-scoring games lately, but... Um, a lot of them have been blowouts, so to see a back-and-forth high-scoring affair was very exciting. Um, by the way, I didn't even notice this, or I didn't even point this out when we were talking about the Jets and the Coyotes. They played last night. Uh, Jets beat the Coyotes 4-3 in overtime. Kyle Connor with the overtime winner. Um, looked like the Jets were going to kind of cruise to that one after the Gabe Velarde goal. Um, but the there's battle in this Coyotes team still, even though they've slipped out of the playoff picture. There's still a lot of battle in the Arizona Coyotes, Matias Michelli, Nick Schmaltz with a couple goals. So 
Um, and he's really having a good season too, Nick Schmaltz. I mean, I think he gets lost in the fray a little bit of being in Arizona and not even, you know, like you have Clayton Keller on the team and you have exciting young players like Genther and Logan Cooley that suck up a lot of the oxygen in Arizona and plus the arena situation too, that a player like Nick Cousins, or Nick Cousins, Nick Schmaltz, um, really flies under the radar. So uh, just really nice to have a see a good season from him. He's a really deceptive player, passes the puck really well. Um, him and Keller have just a, such a nice connection between the two of them. Um, it's very fun to watch. So um, they did play each other. And on the Winnipeg side of things, uh, they do, like I said, they do walk away with the 4-3 overtime win. But I don't know that there's a player proving himself to be a better net front in tight person this season than Gabe Velarde. The vision, the passes, the time and space he creates for himself, the ability to sit on the goal line, receive a pass, and then find a teammate at the top of the circle on the opposite side is pretty remarkable. Um, the finish, too, in time, I mean, the, the finish on the goal yesterday was unreal. Uh, I mean, just shook the Yotes netminder out of his boots. And I, I just, I, I don't know how Los Angeles let this player get away. I mean, it, it's tough to say now in hindsight. I think a lot of people really thought the Dubois trade was pretty fair. I know a lot of people looked at it and said four pieces. That's a lot to give up for one player. But, um, you know, like even if two of these hit for the Winnipeg Jets, this is looking like a pretty good team. And, you know, now we're sitting here and that that second round pick could easily be flipped for something else. It could be used to move up or move down or acquire another player. Um. You know, you still have Rasmus Kupari, who's still finding his way, and Alex Iafalo's looked good at times and maybe not so good in other times. But if you are just even looking at this trade as a one-for-one straight-up Dubois for Velarde, uh, a lot of people could argue that this is a win for the Jets anyways right now. Um, Forget all the three other pieces that I just mentioned. But um, just so good along the goal line. I mean, he's really brought a lot of life to that Winnipeg Jets power play, too. Um, just really got it humming. I mean, you got Shifley and you got Connor on it. And you got Josh Morrissey out there. And um, it, if that power play can continue to be red hot, because it's never really been the defensive struggles for the Jets. It's always been about putting the puck in the net. So if uh, they can continue to do that, then I think the, the spring in Winnipeg will be a bit longer with hockey. So um, really nice to see Gabe Velarde come into his own too. I know it's been a bit of a struggle for him to establish himself as a full-time NHLer. So um, seeing him do so with uh, tremendous success, just flourishing in Winnipeg too. I mean, we all know the shot he took at the Los Angeles Kings and their hockey fans after he left and saying that there's not a lot of uh, hockey community there. Or I forget exactly what he said if he was moving to a team that the fan base cares about the team, some, something along those lines. So um, there does exist some bad blood now between those two teams. Um, that would be a very good playoff matchup. Um, so um, Gabe Velarde and the Jets walk away, 4-3 overtime win against the Coyotes. And, yeah, I mean, that, that was just a really exciting weekend of hockey, I have to admit. Um, I, I want to send this over to Raven real quick. So we obviously all remember the the, the Ridley-Greg slap shot and the um, ensuing suspension for Morgan Riley that uh, – came up against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, he returned against the Golden Knights. The Leafs trounced them 7-3. to three. They get another win 4-3 against the Colorado Avalanche on Saturday night. But 
the story of Saturday Night when it comes to these kinds of things is the Abby Murphy slap shot into the empty net. So Abby Murphy is one of the stars of college hockey right now. Yes, you have Layla Edwards and you have Sarah Fillier, but um, Abby Murphy is definitely one of the stars of college hockey this season. She's currently playing for her hometown University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. And I just want to send this to Raven real quick so he can see this because it really is I did, awesome. I, I think I oh, did you saw see her the take clip. the slap shot in the empty net. Yeah, and then she fell down like right. She afterwards. did. She got right back up. Yeah, she got. But it was a hard move to be going full speed and then turn around that quick. I mean. Oh imagine. yeah, yeah. But she. I don't know if you saw. She wanted the, like she knew some some kind of someone, response was yeah, coming from was the coming. Minnesota Duluth player, and she wanted all of it. Like she want <laughs> she wanted all of that smoke standing if, uh, on business some would say yeah no i i mean i i love it i think the it adds a little bit of feistiness obviously it was a um minnesota golden gophers versus university of minnesota duluth so that is a pretty big rivalry in and of itself uh murphy's gophers walking away with a 4-2 win saturday night but i love it i i think that's awesome i think uh anybody who hates on that um doesn't really get the theater behind all of this. She's just prepping herself for the PWHL, man. You know? Yeah. Like she's she's gonna someone's gonna do that in a PWHL game now. Regardless of if it's Abby Murphy or somebody else, there is going to be maybe not even a slap shot into an empty net, but something similar. Something, you know, where I, I, I don't hate it. Um I don't love the argument against it either, where a lot of people are saying, well, if you don't want somebody to take a slap shot into your empty net be winning the game instead of losing. Um, don't pull your goalie. Yeah, don't pull your don't <laughs> don't try and tie the game up. Well, you know, I I, I just I, I think that argument's a bit moot because there's always a winner and a loser in a hockey game. There we are pat, well past the era of ties here. Um, so um, I just think it's a bit of a, a um, you have to expect a response of some variety if you do something like that. I don't think this is hockey still. I don't think a lot of players, either men or women are going to walk away from something like that as if nothing happened, as if you just tapped it in. Um, I'm, everybody knows what you're doing. When you take a slap shot into the empty net, you are trying to one-up the other team. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's great. I love it. Um, oh, boy. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see how this uh, lends itself in the future to potential scuffles, I think, as far as, um, you know, post whistle empty net or late in games you, you never know I, I think it's getting really exciting so um nice to see that move is spread itself to the ncaa um raven have you seen this ice football i did see a clip of this and i think it is pretty stupid in my opinion i don't understand what it so okay for those of you that don't know I mean, it's not like I know a lot about it, so I'm about to talk about something <laughs> I don't really know. I have seen the same clips that Raven has seen. Um, it seems to be legitimate and organized in some way where, I mean, there are so, okay, so they're playing football on an ice rink. Everybody's wearing shoes from what I gather. There's yeah, no they're, not, they're not wearing skates. They're like scuffling on ice like penguins. Yeah, they're, so there's no, there's no skates. There's no grips on the shoes. There's no um, traction. Yeah, there's nothing on the shoes. There's no spikes on the shoes, nothing. Because uh, I, I don't know if we've... T I know we talked floorball on this show, but I don't know that we've talked broomball on this show. Um, but but broomball, for those of you that don't know, is um, 
I don't know, kind of a hockey-esque game. Um, it's basically hockey, but you use a different kind of stick and a different kind of ball, and you are wearing shoes on the ice. But in Broomball, you have these, like, special, like, I don't know, they're, like, attachments that go on your shoes in order to make you able to walk on ice with your tennis shoes. Kind of like golf shoes. Yeah, in a way. Think of a way, like, the, the spikes on there. Yeah, 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 kind of. But there's none of this at all in this ice football. Like, these guys are slipping and sliding all over the place. Some of them, it looks like it's their first time stepping on ice at all. Yeah, it's rough. So, American ice football. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just reading about this now a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there is uh, too much of a... Okay. So four teams were in an ice football tournament every year. Um, each team comprises of eight players from the pool of 32 ice football participants. Um, yeah. They wear uh, profile-less bowling shoes. Doesn't that make it worse? It makes it so much worse, dude. I mean, bowling shoes do provide a little bit of slide, but like on ice... On ice, we're talking about. Yeah, that's brutal. So it, it looks like it's not like a... And look, I, I mean, if you were going to try something as silly as this, I mean, we've seen ice tennis too. I've seen a lot of clips of that going around recently, but this was like a legitimately organized game, you know, with teams and a broadcast and uh, with jerseys and all the, all the works. So um, I think it's nice that they did like a little um, test of it. It seems... Um, yeah, oh my gosh. American Ice Football. Look it up if you haven't seen it because these clips are absurd. I never thought we would really see anything like this before. Um, I feel like there's been ice basketball. Or maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm envisioning things. There's that, the guys that are like in Minnesota that made like a speed ice track and then made a jump and dunked the basketball from like 20 feet away. But I don't think there was ever like ice basketball, no. Interesting. So, okay. So that was one of my random points for the day. The other one was uh, uh, one that I just was like digging into a lot. Um, you know, we mentioned with Robert that he he said he's probably looked at over 10,000 elite prospects profiles and trying to help different players uh, locate different teams. This is going to be a long-winded way of getting to my, my story here. But um, and we're going to have to bring on Colby Guy from Florida Hockey Now at some point again in the near future. I'm going to ask him to prepare a little bit of uh, research on this topic. But this was something that I just found really interesting and uh, hit close to home for myself. Um, so doing a little digging on Elite Prospects yesterday, um, I came across a team that – so I grew up in Jupiter, Florida – which is a smaller town-ish uh, in a greater landscape of the West Palm Beach area is what, what it's called, West Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach in Palm Beach County. Um, but, the, but the biggest city, I guess you could say, nearby to where I'm from is West Palm Beach. Um, there is an airport there, if that accounts for anything. <laughs> so There's um, also an airport in Appleton, Wisconsin. I don't okay, think that right, really right. goes far, dude. So I... I um, did a little digging, and I was just trying to see um, what players are from West Palm Beach, Florida, because there is hockey history in that area. There is a large, large contingent of retired NHLers that have made their home in West Palm. 
Um, the NHL does their uh, board of governor meetings annually at the Breakers in West Palm Beach, which is a very nice hotel. Um, so there's a lot of hockey on the high end side of things. A lot of Hall of Famers make their home there. Um, not going to give names or addresses <laughs> or anything out here, but um, it, it is a hockey rich area, it, even if it is um, more so supplemented by the amount of tran transplants, right? Um, but I was doing some research as far as what guys are from the area and have made it to the National Hockey League. The answer is no one really. I mean, we have some guys that are from the area, from the county, kind of um, ne nearing counties. You know, Shane Gostisbehere obviously is a big name. Um, Jacob Chickren is from Palm Beach County. So, um, and I grew up playing with his cousins and uh, his uncle was my coach for many, many years growing up. But um so digging into it, I, I was finding some research, and I'm going to have to get my hands on a jersey of this at some point. But I was looking on Elite Prospects, and from West Palm Beach, there was a hockey team there, a minor professional, minor league professional hockey team. And they were called the West Palm Beach Blaze before being renamed as the West Palm Beach Barracudas. They operated from four seasons, from 1992 to 1996, and they started in a league that was originally called the Sunshine Hockey League, which was four teams. They um, they played with a team from, I just want to get this right here. So you had the West Palm Beach Blaze, you had the Jacksonville Bullets, you had uh, the Daytona, my gosh, am I from there? Daytona Beach Sun Devils. You also had the Lakeland Ice Warriors. Um, so the West Palm Beach Blaze won the league each of their first three seasons. They they won the regular season and they won the the Sunshine Cup. Can you believe that? That's that's what it was called. Um, a lot of really good players played in that league. Um, it was just like a nice uh, form. It, the the league started the same year that the NHL expanded to um, Tampa Bay in 1992. Um, this was kind of the wake in the wake of the the Miami Toros. I think was the WHA team that was in Miami. Um, I know there was the Toronto Toros. Am I right? Can you look that up, Raven? What was the Miami WHA team? Um, but so with those teams kind of existing but uh, falling off, obviously, and with the WHA-NHL merger. Um, the Miami Screaming Eagles. Oh, that was the WHA team. I know it was the Toronto Toros, but um, okay, the Miami Screaming Eagles. That's kind of awesome. Um but so the the Palm Beach Blaze, the West Palm Beach Blaze, were found, founded by um, two men, one of them, uh, two Montana ranchers, Jim King and Bill Nyrop, um, who played in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah, they were they were founded there. They were dominant the entire time they were there. And their logo was just awesome. Like the logo was so cool for this hockey team. Um, really old school, really 1992. And they played, and I had to wonder because I grew up there my whole life and there's no hockey arena like that. Obviously you have like local rinks, you have Palm Beach Iceworks, you have Palm Beach Skate Zone. Um, there's there's different hockey rinks in West Palm Beach, but there there isn't a facility big enough to house even a minor league hockey team, right? So I was wondering where they played. And then it came to me that they played their games at the West Palm Beach Auditorium which I had never heard of, but apparently still exists. So I wondered, man, I looked at a map and I realized I had driven by this place a ton. You know what it is now, Raven? No. 
it is a it is an entity used by the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> the building and grounds were renovated and the name was changed to the West Palm Beach Christian Convention Center. It is now only used for Jehovah Witnesses assemblies and conventions. That is your hockey fun fact for the day. Also, who used to make the West Palm Beach Convention Center their house was the Florida Hammerheads, who played, in, it was an inline roller hockey team. They played in Roller Hockey International from 1993 to 1994. So um, that was that was its own thing. You know, we're, we're definitely going to have to have Colby Guy on so he can bring more of an in-depth perspective of this. But the Florida Hammerheads, the, the roller hockey team, um, they were owned by Julia Neal, who is the only female owner in Roller Hockey International. Um, they also had Karen Kielt, who was uh, the first and only female general manager of a men's professional hockey team. Um, yeah, I mean, just really, really interesting stuff. Um, they, they brought a lot of fans out. There is hockey everywhere. Um, even if you don't really believe it or not, I mean, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have to do some deep dives into Georgia at some point to try and find some of these teams. But my big project for this upcoming, uh, couple of weeks is to find a West Palm Beach blaze, either sweater or hoodie or jersey something something so the sunshine hockey league and the sunshine hockey league for those of you who are still following along um was the precedent for the southern hockey league which then became the chl so all these leagues have like kind of melded together into what we have today um so just really cool that uh somewhere small that holds a close place to my heart um and isn't traditionally known uh, for their hockey, they are known more for their refuge for people with money. Um, but it is nice to see that there there is a vibrant hockey community there, and I I lived it. There is a vibrant hockey community down there too. Um, we talked about with Colby when we had him on last time that there is a buzz for the team, uh, the team being the Florida Panthers in uh, South Florida, more so than there ever has been since the since the first Cup run in the nineties. So. Um, a lot of fun stuff uh, there. I mean, I, I'll always try and give a shine to minor pro hockey, whether it is current, whether it is defunct. Um, I, I love it. I love it all. And if anybody can hook me up with a Palm Beach Blaze sweater, um, give Raven a call. We'll put his phone number in the show notes. No. <laughs> Please. No, we can't do that now, especially now that we're actually getting listeners. My gosh. No, we, we can't be doing that. Um so, like I said, only four games on tap for tonight. Uh, we mentioned the Kings taking on the Oilers. That is probably the big matchup of the night. You also have the Islanders taking on the Stars. And if you are the Islanders in this one, you need a win in this one very, very, very badly. I don't know that I can understate just how much the New York Islanders need to win this game in Dallas. I don't think... Oh boy, where did I hear this? I wanna I wanna say it might have been Elliot Friedman that said this, but um he might have been taking a quote from someone else too. Um that you really shouldn't call games must win games because even if they're not like single elimination must win, like you know, like they're not like a football playoff game where if you lose you're out or like a game seven kind of deal. If you were to sit here and call this game now for the New York Islanders against the Dallas Stars a must-win game, even though it very much feels like one for the Islanders and their fans, um, if you call it a must-win game and then they lose, does it derail the entire season? Or how do you approach the rest of the If you lost the must-win game, right? And um, 
like I said, the Islanders really need this one. But if they if they lose this game, does it really put them out of the playoff picture for the rest of the season? And will they have the ability to rally? I mean, they've lost two in a row. Losing this one would put them at three in a row. You know, they're they're currently seventh out of eight teams in the Metropolitan Division, and I know they're six games up on the Blue Jackets right now, but the fact remains that there's just a lot of teams fighting for what could be one spot, what could be no, no spots. I mean, you know, we could see valiant efforts from the Devils and the Capitals and the Penguins and the Islanders, and the Philadelphia Flyers could just hang on to the spot that they've been battling for this entire season. So um, that game is looking like a must-win. I guess for us outsiders, we can call that one a must-win from our from our seats in the building. Uh, we'll also see the Senators take on the Capitals today. Um We'll see if the Senators can keep up their good play. They really impressive effort against the Vegas Golden Knights, beating them 4-3 in a shootout on Saturday. Um, and the Capitals, you know, I've, I've mentioned the Capitals earlier when we talked about Ovi. Um, they're still shot. Like, you are you know, what's that What's that mean? So you're telling me there's a chance? Um, there, there is a chance if you're the Washington Capitals. A win tonight would go a long way towards making that chance even more of a reality uh, for the team. Um, but... They will be hard-pressed tonight. I mean, you know, Anton Forsberg's been playing a lot better for the Senators. Um, Brady Kachuk's level of play hasn't really dipped at all, but you're getting more contributions from guys like Josh Norris, and Shane Pinto's really finding his groove after missing the first 41 of the season. So um, that should be a good one, too, even though it might feature two teams that by the end of things could be on the outside of looking in. Um It'll be a good game regardless. And then we got the late one that is the Boston Bruins visiting the Seattle Kraken. Uh, it's been kind of an up and down roadie for um, the Boston Bruins on this Western Conference swing. Obviously, looked like they were going to walk away with two points in that game against Vancouver. Then Brock Besser scores and JT Miller has three assists. And whoever is still calling JT Miller a not complete player or criticizing his game i mean just frankly aren't watching the vancouver canucks at this point because he's been one of the driving forces to them being able to believe that they are in every single game that they play um you know i i have to admit myself i even when brock besser scored to make it two to one i really believed like the bruins were going to shut them down and not let the canucks back into that one and then before you knew it the game was tied and they had won it in overtime so um, that will be the late night one. Um, the Seattle Kraken obviously lost 5-2 at home to the Minnesota Wild, who just really had themselves a nice week, nice weekend. Um, but um, we'll see if the Kraken are able to rebound. Jordan Eberle has been playing a lot better for them, too. Vince Dunn's already at 10 goals, too, for the, for the Kraken. So um, that should be a really entertaining one. And uh, we'll see who the Bruins start in goal because they've been going with Jeremy Swayman, um, for the last little stretch of games here, obviously the chatter will continue around players like Linus Olmark when you have a luxury such as having two of the best goaltenders in the world on your roster, um, that if you were to deal one of them and call up Brandon Bussey, that you would um, be dealing from a large position of strength there to maybe augment some other parts of your team. Um, so we'll see if Swayman gets a start tonight, and maybe that may be indicative of a more larger situation going on with Boston in the direction of the team and what they might look to do come trade deadline time. Um, but I think that should do it for us here today. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to toss in there, Raven? 
No, nothing big. Go check out the On the Gravel that we did today. Yeah, the Raven and Oliver were in early today recording in studio. Uh, you boys were here early. What time did you guys get in here today? Six, seven thirty-ish. There you go. There you go. Little preseason F one talk. Yeah, uh, first race is on Saturday, ten a.m. Central Time, and we are going to be doing video next week. So that's exciting. Another thing I get to stress about, but exciting for the company. That is very exciting for the company. Big things here. We're uh, we're working on some stuff. We're we're always trying to get better. Um, we're always trying to improve on what we're doing and make these shows better, more palatable. Um, I feel like I'm getting better here behind the mic, becoming a better host. And, um, you know, anything we could do to try and grow, we're going to try and have all these shows on video soon. Um, we have a fun week of guests lined up too for this show. Um, we're going to bring on Dylan Tyra tomorrow, who is a broadcaster for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we're going to do a lot of CBJ talk tomorrow. And they've been playing a lot better too since the the letting go of GM Yarmo Kekalainen and, and John Davidson having more of, uh, a hard stare at what's going on on the ice. Um, they've been playing a lot better. So we'll do a deep dive into the Columbus Blue Jackets, what everything about them, prospects, the future, what the now is. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to dissect there. So we'll we'll touch on that with Dylan Tyrer. We also got some fun guests later in the week too. Um, bringing on a buddy of mine, Henry, um, Henry Brisson, who is a Hawks guy. Um finishing up a journalism degree right now, but um, we're looking to get a Hawk show on the network here, hopefully by the fall time. That's kind of what we're envisioning. So um, we're going to give him a run on the mics on Friday and see see how he holds up, see um, how he's able to, to chat with you all and see if he can really do uh, the job that um, we're all doing here. So really fun week of stuff. Um, we're going to cover lots of hockey, really exciting week. We got 19 games nationally televised this week. I think that might be... One of the most we've seen in the National Hockey League in a while. So um, lots of just really good stuff to talk about. And we'll also be here to talk about the random stuff too. Like the West Palm Beach Blaze. I, I swear, Raven, I'm going to find a jersey. And uh, first episode we get on video for this show, I will You're wear a Palm Beach Blaze. That. Yeah. All right, everybody have a great rest of your Monday. And uh, we'll be back in 24 hours. <laughs>